Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you. Whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. How do you feel about hypnosis? It's one of those things, perhaps, that you think you have a sense of, but when you try and explain it, you might stumble. That's definitely my experience. And as I've done a little bit of digging over the years, I've realized there is so much more to it than I ever realized. I've been hypnotized once in my life that I know of. And honestly, it didn't leave me with the feeling that hypnosis was a tool that could help me make and sustain meaningful change in my life, which was the promise I had bought into. I had a couple of sessions about four years ago to try and help me with my weight and my relationship with food. And while I do acknowledge that in the days immediately following the sessions, I noticed a change in how I ate, it did not stick. And this is key because throughout the years that I have been making this podcast, there is always, always at the back of my mind this singular question whenever I approach any subject, topic or guest. And that is, will this be helpful for my listeners? With this podcast, I am on something of a pursuit to become a better version of myself, and I know that is a journey that a lot of you, my most excellent listeners, are on too. I try to find guests and dig into topics that I think will offer the kind of expertise and insight that will truly be helpful as we navigate our own lives. I have read over the last few years compelling studies about the benefits of hypnotherapy and hypnosis and the adjacent disciplines and really wanted to find someone who could explain exactly what it is, how it works and crucially what it can do for you. So listeners, you can imagine my utter glee when Andrew Parr's book, The Real You, landed on my desk because the subtitle really caught my attention. Just listen to this. How to escape your limitations and become the person you were born to be. That's a book worth reading, right? And Andrew is also an incredible guest. And our conversation was so enlightening and very helpful in understanding how hypnosis works, how he works, how it's applicable to help one help themselves and the methods he uses to help people overcome various issues. Uh, We dub him, or I dub him quite early on, the change maker. He helps people make change. Something Andrew says in the book about his escape method, which is a detailed method of how he does this, this change making, is the main thing you need is a simple willingness to face up to things. Everything else takes care of itself after that. And this really struck me and made me think about the conversation we had on this show recently with Wim Hof, where we would discuss the fact that it's from, it's where you experience discomfort, where you experience pain, where you experience challenge, that you are able to make the most progress. From pain, from facing your triggers, from going outside of your comfort zone is where you grow, develop and evolve. And this is something I felt very much from this conversation with Andrew and I found it incredibly useful and helpful and I hope you do too. So in this conversation, Andrew explains what it is he does and the various disciplines he uses to help people make these breakthroughs, what a surface level symptom is and how it can be the key to unpicking deeper issues, why willpower and enthusiasm can only get you so far, 
his experience helping people struggling with eating issues and weight issues, why you shouldn't believe everything you think, how we create our reality via our thoughts, feelings and beliefs, and we can change that reality just as easily as we created it, why choosing hypnosis or hypnotherapy doesn't mean you'll be detached from any changes or progress that you fundamentally make, why he believes affirmations are mostly just lies, why triggers are often a signpost towards where you want to get to, so it's best not to run away from them, and so much more. The links to Andrew, the book, and uh, his website will be in the show notes. And I just want to say this, after our conversation, Andrew very kindly said that if you buy his book, The Real You, the link to which will of course be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode, if you email your receipt to hello at andrew-par.com, they will share the free extras Andrew created for his students. He does say this at the end of the episode, but I wanted to say it at the top too, because if you get to the end and think, I really want a piece of this action, which I I think you may, then uh, just know that those resources are available to you. I found this so fascinating and hypnotherapy, hypnosis is something I've long thought could be very helpful and I honestly felt uh, I felt convinced by Andrew after this conversation and what he had to say and um, what I found so useful as well before we get into our conversation is in his book you can literally identify what your surface level symptom might be and by using his escape methodology you can then uh, unpick it uh, with the book with the book helping you anyway like I said, you have all the uh, access points for Andrew in the show notes, but here he is making his debut on the show. It's Andrew Parr on The Emma Gunn Show. Andrew Parr, welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Emma. Good to meet you and uh, good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's such a pleasure. You are an author and uh, I have been delving into your book and I find the field of your expertise incredibly interesting, fascinating. And Mm. actually, I think it's one of these fields in which there is so much progress has already been made, but there there is, I think, still loads to be made. And we were just chatting before we started recording listeners. And I said to Andrew, what's your preferred descriptor? And it's not as simple as putting a label on it. So would you mind explaining what it is that you do and why actually it's a little bit, um, a little bit of an uneasy topic to actually try and put a label on what you do? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, essentially what I actually do is people come to me and say, I've got a problem and I help them sort it out or solve it in one way or another. And through various stages of my life, I've probably spent about 30 years helping people now, somewhere at 17,000 plus sessions it adds up to, something like that. But uh, but I've gone through various stages of what's the best way to help people. And uh, I got into this, you know, gosh, nearly 30 years ago, as I said, for, via hypnosis and hypnotherapy. And that really captured my attention. So for many, many years, my label was hypnotherapist. I didn't like that. I don't like being called things like that. But I started added. uh extra bits into it. You know, I studied psychotherapy, I studied counselling skills, I studied personal development, uh, I looked at metaphysics, I looked at quantum physics, anything that captured my attention and something that might actually be able to help someone, I started bringing it into it. And uh, I kind of developed my own way of doing things, really, that helps people get to the root of problems if we need to get down deep or just helps them make simple changes on the surface if we want to do that but I've, I've taken a lot of the really effective things from the world of hypnosis 
and just made them very down to earth because I didn't like the way hypnosis was packaged. It's so stunningly effective in so many ways, but the way it's packaged was just uncomfortable to many people. So I started thinking, how can we, how can we use this without making it too weird or too mystical, scaring people off, and just, just use this really naturally going phenomena that everyone can do and does anyway, and use it to help people make a huge difference to their life. So that's, I just say, I help people change how they think, change how they feel, change how they behave. That's what I do. You're a change maker. Well, I, I mean, I love to come up with funny. <laughs> change maker. That sounds like a movie. Cool, <laughs> yeah, John Grisham movie, The Change Maker, yeah, starring it. Andrew Parr. Or you can get Matt Damon to play you or Tom Cruise, depending on Yeah, that'd be much better than me, yeah. <laughs> who your preference is. So one of the things, this particular field really interests me because I uh, was speaking to a friend a few years ago mm. about hypnosis mm. and about how actually it's one of those things that can affect long-lasting change. And we were talking about it in the context of comparing it to something like a cognitive behavioral therapy hmm. and how that's actually prescribed now and not the the results don't necessarily last but actually hmm. there's so much data to prove that hypnosis is a much more effective tool for yeah. creating long-lasting change to things that might be getting in your way absolutely so f- first of all can i explain a bit about what how i see hypnosis because i think many people have a misperception of that because yeah. the common thing about hypnosis is you you kind of relax on a couch somewhere with your eyes closed and somebody does all the talking and says all these wonderful things and then hopefully at the end of it you wake up and life is wonderful that that's the kind of the the common idea and sometimes it can work that way but there's other uses of it where you can actually use it to tap into uh, causes of problems and traumas and difficulties from you know any earlier period in your life so there's a whole uh, different field of hypnotherapy that accesses um you know really difficult memories or life experiences and can set you free very very quickly so there's two very very different approaches to it really but how that ties in with counseling and psychotherapy and, and cbt is you've got to think about the, the level at which the problem is occurring in your mind right? so if you think of you haven't got to tell me about an area in your life or anyone who's listened to this think of an area in your life and there's going to be what i call a surface level symptom which is the thing that annoys you, the daily thing that is like, why can't I stop this? Why do I do this? Why do I feel this way? Why do I think this way? And that's the surface level thing, which is the most annoying thing, because if you try and stop it, it's often very, very difficult. Okay. Sometimes you can just make a switch and there'll come a point in life where you say, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to think differently and be different. And sometimes you can just do that and that's all right. Okay. But very often that surface level symptom, that behavior is there because of inner thoughts and inner feelings and inner emotions you're going through. And it's that that's driving the surface level behavior. So you have to drop down and access those, right? And sometimes by talking about it, counseling, CBT, that kind of stuff, you can think, well, what am I thinking here? What am I feeling here? How can I choose a different thought? How can I choose a different behavior? (laughs) And sometimes that can be really, really effective, right? But, you know, those thoughts and feelings themselves are only there because of a deeper level, because of something we're believing, right? And if we try and change those thoughts without accessing the belief that's driving them, it's like forever running up a down escalator, you know? When I moved to London, God, 30 years ago, when I was a young punk rocker, we, um, me and a couple of mates had a couple of drinks one night, and we literally tried this running up the longest escalator in London's underground. There's three of them. We tried to have a race to the top, okay? And, when I uh, was reading this in the book, was it Angel? 
It could be, yeah. I couldn't think which one it was, but yeah. And I thought, this is going to be fun. And you get about a third of the way on enthusiasm. And then about half the way, hang on, this is getting a bit tiring, you know. I'm trying to get up here. I've had a few drinks. I'm not getting very far. And then eventually the top just seems forever never arriving. So you, you wear out, you give up, and 30 seconds later, you're back at the bottom where you started. All right. And it's funny in that scene, but when you're trying to make a change in life, it's really upsetting because you think, well, I'm back where I started now. Now what do I do? And the top still seems a long way up. Mm. And then we often kind of get really down on ourselves for not being able to make that change, especially if we've read all the books and done all the things we're supposed to, we've done all the affirmations we're supposed to, we've done all that stuff. I'm still here. And that can create a lot of secondary effects. Okay. So our beliefs and what we how we believe about ourselves and life are what generate the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions and the behaviors. And that's what creates the surface level symptoms, right? So you've got to get down to that belief level. What am I believing about myself? What am I believing about life? That's making me think of it this way and do that stuff that's annoying me on the top. Okay. Whatever that may be. So however you change those beliefs, that will make a difference in life for you. Right? And sometimes you can talk about it, and sometimes you need to access where they're coming from, which is where the hypnotherapy side of it can access, sometimes access those beliefs a little more effectively than more can, uh, conventional therapies. Okay. But it, does that make sense so far? It does. <laughs> okay. But saying that, you, you can't just relax someone, have them imagine walking down a staircase and walking on the beach like a guided meditation and then say a load of positive stuff, because that just doesn't work. Mm. Right? Because... There's something that I call the, or we generally call the critical faculty, which people have to be aware of. Right? The best way I can describe this is, uh, again, in the book, I, mean, I told a little story about my daughter trying to get into a nightclub. Do you remember that one? That's so funny because she, she's 19 years old at the time. Her and, her and teammates had spent all day getting ready, got to the nightclub, and the the, uh, the guy on the door said, you can't come in tonight because you're wearing trackies. You know? They were nice tracksuit bottoms, but they were they were smart ones, but she, the, the door policy that night said no trackies. So she's got this persistence attitude, which hopefully I've managed to convey to her. So her and her friend walk around the corner. She takes off her trackies in the street, takes her friend's jacket, wraps it around her waist, fashions a skirt from it, flings the trackies over her shoulders, the jacket, head back to the club, and the guy goes, oh, you got changed. Come in, come in, come in. And they let them in. Okay. But what I'm trying to get across there is the same person who was refused entry earlier was now allowed in, just packaged slightly differently. Mm. Right? Now, our minds have this inner security system that decides what ideas can be accepted and what are rejected. And sometimes if you try and say a nice idea to yourself, but our inner security system says, no, 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 I can't accept that. That idea gets rejected. Right? And, but if we can repackage those ideas in a, in a slightly different way that's more acceptable, then they can be allowed in. Right? And that is a way sometimes with some of the tools from the world of hypnotherapy, hypnosis can help you do that. They can help you introduce better ideas into your mind that your security system might otherwise reject. Right? So that's, that's a way it can be really effective. Um, the other way is if you can just get inside the club and have a chat with the manager, then you can change the door policy. Right? <laughs> right. And that's what I usually with the clients that I'm trying to do. And in the book, I've given you exercises to take you through that. How do you get inside the the door of your own mind so you can change your own door policy so then positive ideas can be accepted because a lot of people are just trying to do positive thinking or affirmations which are affirmations are mostly just lies by the way let's be really honest right <laughs> okay what well, a lot of stuff going on with that you know 
I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And the voice in the back of your mind goes, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. And then you get this little conflict in a way. Right? I, I do use affirmations and mantras with clients, but they've got to be used in the right way. Because if they trigger that security response within yourself, they're going to make you feel worse. They're going to hit what I call the threat response. What would, the be, change, right? what would be an example of a, an affirmation that might potentially trigger okay, that security response? Um, all right, an extreme one, let's say someone suffering with anorexia, for example. All right? This is uh, eating disorder causes a lot of restriction of food and people are wanting to lose weight and get thinner for a reason within themselves. All right? Now, if the doctor or a health person or a helping person says, we want to help you get better. Okay, now getting better to someone with anorexia means putting weight on, right? Mm. So any attempt in their mind to say, I'm getting better, I'm getting better, they're going to see that as I'm getting heavier, I'm putting more weight on or whatever. And that's going to trigger a fear because the very the last thing someone with anorexia wants is to put weight on, right? So they need to think, well, anyone helping someone with anorexia, for example, needs to think, what does this person really need? And they need to feel greater self-worth, better self-esteem. They need to feel more in control of themselves and their lives. And they need to feel more able to make more choices. <laughs> so if you can help introduce those ideas to someone with anorexia, for example, and deal with the stuff in the background that's driving it, then maybe some ideas can be useful to them. Does that make sense? I'm just an extreme example. Yeah, um, I'm, it's from my, obviously there's an example in the book about the little girl who was just refusing to go to sleep because on some yes. level mm. she had heard a story, whatever that might have been, mm. and she thought that if she fell asleep, something terrible would happen to her. She'd be kidnapped in the night. Exactly, and yeah. in your session with her, it was, it was figuring out that she didn't feel safe and yes. getting her. But what I thought was so interesting about that is you hand-holding people to using the right word do you do you want to explain to yeah. listeners what i'm alluding to there yeah that's right uh, so that um there's a little girl whose parents brought her along to see me because i think it's about three or four months she'd be on terrible nightmare uh, not nightmares screaming fits did not want to go to bed just couldn't go to bed absolutely completely terrified and it was destroying the whole family everyone was so stressed by it so for that to be happening, I knew she had to be imagining something, right? And it's the same with every single one of us. When we have a problem, we're imagining something. We're thinking something, it's making us feel something, that's making us uh, influence how we behave. So little girl, she was imagining something that was making it scary to go to bed. That, that had to be going on, otherwise she wouldn't be feeling this way, right? Mm -hmm. So I just gently, gently unpicked what she might be imagining. And as the thoughts came out, I mean, people would be horrified to hear me repeating what she was saying, but I was only saying back to her what she was already in her head. Kidnappers, murdered, all this kind of stuff. That's what was going through her mind. So once we'd understand what's going on, then I had, in the case of the little girl, had her begin to think what would make it different for her so she could go to sleep, so she could be able to relax in bed and just go to sleep. And the word I was looking for, I knew she had to feel safe. Okay. <laughs> so you do you do this 17,000 times. There's certain patterns that appear. Okay, right. Uh, but I was just gently unpicking and trying to get her to come to that realization. And the moment she suddenly had an idea of how she could feel safe going to sleep by imagining something different, she just relaxed. I saw her relax, you know. And it was it was a lovely moment to see that whole kind of that drop in her body language, drop in her facial expression. 
And I got a message from my mum saying that night, I think 10 minutes and she was asleep. And then within a few days, the whole problem was over and done with. So that's a good example of accessing the right level because she'd had you know, a few months of counselling type stuff trying to figure it out. But if you don't figure out what, what's going on underneath it, it's the same for every single one of us. Her belief was, if I go to sleep by myself, I could be murdered or kidnapped. So who the hell's going to go to sleep thinking they're going to be murdered or kidnapped? <laughs> it's just common sense. And every single one of these issues we have, they always make perfect sense once you have the whole story. Mm. If an issue doesn't make sense to you, it means we don't have the whole story. I think one of the things that I kept thinking when I was doing my research for this conversation today mm. was, and listeners will have heard me say this, I'm really anti this trigger culture that we currently live in, which is uh, somebody says something, somebody on receiving it says, I feel triggered by that. I need you to stop saying it. I feel mm. like what, where you come from, it's the antithesis of that, because actually what you're saying is if something triggers you, then we need to investigate it and get over it. Uh, yeah. It depends what the trigger is, because if someone's being abusive, then obviously we want to get that person out of that situation. Of course, but yeah. completely right, yeah. There's a, there's a certain element of responsibility we need to take, right? And that's responsibility, not blame, by the way, right? No one blames themselves. We just need to think, okay, something is coming in. I'm receiving information into my mind here. I'm seeing something, hearing something. Sometimes smell, taste, texture can trigger. But if our inner little security system monitors that information and says, actually, this is fine, this is all good, then we can stay relaxed, we can stay happy, peaceful, make nice choices. But if there's a threat in any way to the main areas, you know, which I cover, and I'll explain those in a moment, any kind of threat, then we go into this adaptive mode, we try and respond. And the, the trigger culture says, it's not about me, it's about you, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Whereas to agree with what you're saying, I'm saying, look, if that person says that and it triggers something in you, there's a reason why. What's that nerve it's triggering? And if we can help resolve that for you, not only will you feel better, but you actually find yourself not attracting those kind of people who trigger in the first place mm -hmm. through some weird and wonderful means, which is another topic entirely. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to let go of people who keep recreating certain feelings in us. And we tend to either bring out a different side of other people's personalities or we tend to attract different people into our life or make different choices to bring them into our life. So, yeah, Is I think... It makes sense, yeah, sorry. That's really interesting, actually. That uh, One of the conversations I've been wanting to have on the podcast for ages, and I don't know if you're willing to, if this is something you'd be interested in, is the sure. narcissist-empath dynamic and how often empaths and narcissists are absolutely drawn to each other. But uh, there's a, a guy online, uh, the Spartan Life Coach, who talks mm. about um, this particular dynamic and how recovery for an empath from one of these narcissistic relationships ending can be absolutely devastating and really, really hard to get over. And yet an empath can very easily go straight back with a different narcissist into the same pattern. Yeah. I mean, it's true for that, but it's, it's true for every single one of us. Okay. Every single one of us is doing this with every single person in our life. Mm. This is something else I want to get across about this idea of hypnosis. It's not a weird thing you have to do with, candles and chanting and joysticks and stuff it's an everyday phenomena that if we take on an idea within ourselves that we do not challenge if a thought comes in and we don't challenge it in a way that is suggestion that's hypnosis and when we're little we do not have that security guard so we take on information without questioning it and if those ideas stick in our mind as 
the way I am or the way life is, we then begin to repeat that through life. And we'll choose people in our lives that could be partners, it could be bosses, it could be colleagues, it could be friends. We will choose people, often unknowingly, that will recreate the same feelings for us again and again and again until we resolve that. Mm. And sometimes those can be really challenging, but sometimes they can be very healing as well. So we'll, we'll bring someone into our life who actually may not fit. They could be quite a challenge to our issues, but if we can be brave enough to face them, that person will help us evolve out of them as well. So it's not always a negative thing. Mm. But yeah, the reason narcissist empath, it's just if a, a narcissistic person needs a certain type to be narcissistic around, an empath needs that to be around as well. So they just fit nicely. Okay. But we all do that in all areas of our life. So something when people say to me, oh, this person's doing that and that person's doing that. I don't really want to know too much about those people out there. What I want to know is what's the common feeling? What's the pattern within yourself? Again, not to blame, but how, do, how can we look within yourself? What is it that's believing this is the way life is for you? What is it that's maybe allowing this or unconsciously choosing this or making this feel normal? And if we can follow that feeling kind of down and down and down within you, we'll go through layers of your mind really, really quickly. Mm. Yeah. So rather than kind of talking about it in therapy for three months or six months or two years, or whatever, I can say to you, you don't have to do this right now, obviously, but you, you say, close your eyes a minute, focus on that feeling, just relax and just follow that feeling down and down and down. And very, very quickly, you can get past all the cognitive stuff down to the raw emotion of it. And then you'll find you know what the beliefs are, what the memories are, maybe what the life experiences are. And also there's things that I call the, the core beliefs are that sit at the bottom of it. And if you get down to that level and create change there, that's when someone comes out of that session or that experience or those exercises feeling very, very different. I I think what I, um, what I really appreciate about this technique and about what it could possibly mean for somebody is the lasting change it's what you're mm. saying about um the things that you experience I've talked about having therapy on this podcast before and how uh, my mind pre-therapy was imagine that every thought that I had uh, came out of a ticker tape machine in my brain in a room in my brain but it didn't get filed it just sort of shot out and landed on the floor somewhere and therapy was like mm. going in with an organizer and filing everything with color okay. yeah, dividers and yeah, and I and it's the same a little bit with these, but this belief system, everything you think, uh, it is stored, and it's let's use a, a current example or a current metaphor. It's like an Instagram filter. Hmm. So it, across your eyes, you have developed this filter that might tell you that you're not safe in this environment, and you believe it to to be true, or these sorts of people aren't good for you, or this is not a place that you want to go, and so that limits how you live your life. Absolutely. But, and that's that's what and it is the limiting i noticed right at the beginning of the book there's a lot of talk of limiting beliefs yeah yeah limiting beliefs are i say limiting not negative okay because negative beliefs make them seem bad but you've got to realize i don't mean you personally but one has to realize that any so-called negative idea or limiting idea we hold within ourselves is actually designed to protect us in some way right so any issue any surface level symptom any difficult feelings, emotions, behaviors we go through, the, the adaptation we do to in response to that is designed to try and protect us in some way. So that they're, they're limiting because they hold us back, but they're actually trying to protect us. That's what I didn't say like on negative, they're limiting. All right. Mm. So an example might be, um, let's use a really simple example, someone who's very, uh, very anxious about going out in public, 
that they'll try and avoid parties. They'll try and avoid din- dinner gatherings. When we're allowed to do that, you know, they'll avoid uh, socialising. And in a way, that's making them safe because then they haven't got to go through the anxious experience of doing that. Right? Mm. But the prevention of that is actually limiting in a way because they could be having a more more full life. Right? So basically, what happens is they feel safe. But they often feel quite lonely as well. <laughs> and that, this can be true for relationships as well. People who, are, for whatever reason, find relationships difficult, they can avoid that or choose non um, uh, relationships where there's, they don't have to face their own fears, non attachment, all that kind of thing, where, where it can keep people at arm's length. Okay, so they're making themselves temporarily safe by doing that, but actually it's limiting because they're not having the full life love experience they could be having. So quite often trying to figure out the the problem, the surface level symptom, the behavior someone has, what is it helping them achieve? It seems like a problem, but it's actually helping you achieve something as well. So a lot of um, eating type issues come down to this as well. Eating behaviors, there's a whole range of those. Often the, the, eating issue is there to help someone change how they think is sorry help them change how they feel in some way it's a surface level symptom to a whole range of beliefs and emotions going underneath it and that's a whole topic in itself okay mm-hmm. um, but the same is true for any area of life where we are doing something that doesn't quite make sense in one way when you get down to the core it actually makes absolute perfect sense that's, that's what I'm trying to get to. And what I found was there's a few ideas I'm always looking for that come down to uh, what we all kind of suffer with, really. I can go through them quickly. Do you want me to run through those? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. that would be okay. So um, sometimes it's good to think of this as an example. So, again, any listeners there, if you think of an area of your life and the, any difficulty you're going through, at some level, you're adapting to a threat response in some way. Either, con- sorry, either conditioned through life experiences or there's a threat there. I need to do this or else. I must do this because I'm afraid of this. That, a tiny, tiny level. Okay. A threat doesn't have to be in physical security. A threat can be a threat to our self-worth and our self-esteem, where we feel not good enough or just not enough in any way. Not something, not big enough, not small enough, not tall enough, not clever enough, not intellectual enough, not successful enough, whatever it is. Just not enough. That, that's a, a real core idea. Anything that challenges that means we're either going to hide away, freeze, which is procrastination, or try and get aggressive, or try and overdo things or overachieve or whatever to try and prove our sense of enoughness. All right? mm. That's that's a core idea there. And the second one is kind of safety, security, feeling safe in some way or other. Right? So that could be safe in relationships, safe in our bodies, safe in the world, safe financially. Anything around that where there's a fear in that way. We are, we're going to try and adapt our behavior. All right, so um, a weight loss example comes to mind. I remember a leader I was helping who was struggling yo-yo dieting for, for years and years and years. But when we looked into it, really what was happening, she was actually afraid of being slim, afraid of feeling attractive. Because her mind was being feeling slim, feeling attractive, had a fearful outcome attached to it for her. All right, so because of things that have gone on in her life, uh, actually, I think this particular person, it was way, way back in her little teenage years, actually, this is where this idea started. She'd been quite a nervous little person. Her first attempt at making herself look nice, school disco, school party, whatever, something like that. 
shred herself up, put herself out there, and some a, a kid or boy in the year above walked by who made a really sarcastic comment, and she just felt absolutely humiliated in that moment. Mm. She ran home, and that was it, you know. So in her mind in that moment, her idea was, if I make myself look nice, if I put myself out there, I'm going to get humiliated and, and ridiculed. And that's upsetting in itself, but in a way, that incident hypnotised her to think and feel that about herself. Right? You've got all the elements of a perfect hypnosis there. Mm. No critical faculty, no one saying, you look wonderful, you look beautiful. It's just an idea like, oh, I'm terrible, I'm embarrassing, I'm humiliated, and I'm, and I'm off. So anytime she tried to make herself look nice after that, or got close to it, she would sabotage it, because the ultimate result of finally feeling good about herself is, I'll get humiliated. Right? And when we follow that pattern back, She'd been doing that for, what is it, 15, 16 years or so with foods. Every time she got close to getting to where she wanted to, achieving her ideal size out of weight, that meant the fear would kick in. It's not safe to be slim. It's not safe to be attractive. So she would sabotage it, panic, give up the diet, do something else, change everything, and go back to where she started, back down the bottom of the escalator, and, and off we go again. Right? So with that, that lady there, I had to help her access that little young teenage part of her, release all the fear, all the humiliation, Help her feel safe. Help her realize that it wasn't about her. It was about idiot guys making a stupid comment. Probably they thought nothing of it. It was just like a cheap laugh as they ran by or something, you know. Help her let go of all the emotion of that and then see that it was now safe for her to feel slim or attractive, for example. And when she'd done that, then she could do the changes that she knows make a difference, you know. So safety doesn't always have to be about physical safety. It's just like safety in... Uh, Whatever it is we're trying to do, we need to feel safe. Okay. The third one is about control. Okay. People feeling in control is the positive version, but feeling helpless, feeling powerless. I can't do anything about it. I'm stuck. Nothing I can do. This is another common feeling that I see come up again and again and again. You know, um, uh, example of this one, I've had this probably hundreds of times actually is. Children who've had uh, parents who are fighting, arguing, separating. Children often have to listen to that lying in bed, sitting on the stairs, hearing what's going on, hearing their mom and dad shouting, screaming, fighting at each other. And the child often feels helpless to do anything about it. And they think, what's going to happen? What's, you know, are they going to stay together? Are they not? Is he going to hurt her? Is she going to leave? And that helpless, powerless feeling stays with them, especially if they've experienced that for a number of years, as the way life is. And then they find themselves in situations repeating that where they feel helpless, they feel powerless, there's nothing they can do. And that might be in a relationship, it might be in a work situation, it might be in a friends that happens, just the patterns just repeat themselves. So I'm always looking to look out for these kind of words, enoughness, safe, control, lack of control. And then the fourth one is about acceptance and fitting in and belonging and our place in the world. Because if we if we feel we're accepted, then we feel good. We feel we've got a place, we're part of the gang, part of the group, part of life. We can relax. Okay. If we don't feel that, then that can make us feel lonely, separate, disconnected, different, and all those things. And then we feel everything that goes with that. We feel helpless to do anything about it. We feel unsafe. And then we feel really bad about ourselves as well. So all these things tend to link together. Mm. So these are the kind of things I noticed that if I asked a few questions, Whatever the surface level symptoms someone comes for, within two or three minutes, I can get an idea of what's really going on and then go a little bit deeper. 
just by, you know, no magic, weird, wonderful hypnosis technique, just asking the right questions, someone's mind will go down there very, very quickly and we'll get to the bottom of things. And then we can start sorting stuff out of that area. And it has a much greater impact on the, um, on the surface there. The fifth one, just to finish that off, is around relationships. Love equals pain is a common problem many people have. Right? It's the fifth of those core beliefs. So love relationships are somehow associated with hurt, pain, struggle, suffering, difficulty. Right? And then we tend to recreate those. So these, these are the areas I'm looking for with clients. And if you think about any area of your own life, whatever the surface level thing is, if you can start thinking, well, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What must I be believing? to be having those thoughts. Now, what life experiences have I got stored within me that my mind is referencing to make me believe that in the first place? And which of these core beliefs am I playing out? Then you're going to get pretty deep within yourself pretty quickly. And then you can start to have a deeper change. And once you do that, it filters back up to the surface. And then the, the surface level symptoms are much easier to, uh, to take care of. Does that make sense, then? It does. It does. <laughs> I really like the way you explain it. And you're obviously somebody who, if you're having a session, you would feel very relaxed immediately because you have a very soothing voice. One of the other things I thought was quite interesting is you, you said there you can get to the core problem hmm. or the core belief that is uh, the base of the issue yep. in a few minutes. But what I thought was fascinating in the book is how one of the, one of the um, signposts for that is if you ask a question and somebody responds and there's a pause and then they finish a sentence in a way that you weren't expecting to because they start a different sentence and you say and you your technique is to go back and say what were you about to say when you said when I was little yeah that's it <laughs> yeah unfinished sentence jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mm. I kind of noticed that by accident. I think... Because sometimes, you know, when you sit listening to people, you, your mind has a lot of time to think. And I just started observing this and thought, I wonder what they're about to say. And I noticed that when people started a sentence and then interrupted that sentence or interrupted a word sometimes, and I went back and sat them to finish it, then often the thing they're about to say was really, really important. But this thing called the, the threat response, the stress response, the security system kicks in and says, don't say that word. Don't finish that sentence. Because that's the thing you try not to feel. Right? Yeah. And so in a, a normal talkie therapy, we can very, very cleverly skirt our way around that. And because I don't particularly adhere to any school of thought, I'm allowed to bend the rules. So I could, normal counselling, you, you wouldn't dare interrupt someone. But I think people, you know, they pay me for a service. So I think, well, I've got to deliver that service and sort the rules. Let's just give them the result they want. Okay? This is the punk so, rocking anarchist in you. Well, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Um, so I think there's something important in that. So I say, go back. What are you going to say? Finish that sentence. And they may try and avoid that three times, four times, five times. It's incredible to watch people try and avoid saying a word. 
And they'll say something. I say, yeah, yeah, but just finish that sentence. And they go off again. Say, yeah, yeah, just finish that sentence for me. And finally, three times, four times, six times later, they'll say it. And very often there's a huge emotional reaction at that moment. Because that behind that word, behind that statement, was a lot of emotion and suppressed ideas. And that, it, it looks upsetting, but actually there's a huge amount of relief a person feels when suddenly it all comes to the surface. All right? And this isn't just kind of a, an upsetting feeling talking about something. Very often we're unlocking something that's been trapped inside often for years and years and years. Sometimes, depending on the age of the person, 40, 50 years, things can be held inside. And you hit one of these little buttons and it just pops out. And that's when you get these magic changes um, occurring. It's a very simple thing like, yeah, finish, what are we going to say? Finish that word, that little, that little tiny word there. And people go, oh, no, I can't say it. I can't say it. Oh, come but, on, just all time, you know. But it's interesting. There are two things from that. First of all, I find it incredibly empowering, actually, to think that just a little coaching to finish a sentence that solution, that relief that one can potentially feel is actually quite close to the surface, even though Absolutely, we're talking yeah. about a deeper level, a, a deeper level problem. I find that, I actually find knowing that really empowering. Mm. Yeah, it's good because it, it means that there's lots of things you can do yourself. It doesn't mean you've got to spend six months in therapy trying to find the cause of something. <laughs> I mean, we can do that, but the, the answer is often there, right? Actually, a client said to me originally, he says, oh, my God, I thought we were trying to find something deep and buried, but the answer was hiding in plain sight all along. And I thought that, I think I put that in the book as well. It's such a beautiful phrase. I thought, yeah, that's exactly it. It's everything is hiding in plain sight. That's why I sometimes call these invisible beliefs, because they're ideas we're living out without even realizing it. Mm. So again, what I, what I did was a series of exercises to try and help people recognize these. Because it's really hard to make a change if you're trying to change in the wrong way. So you've got to find out what's the actual limiting idea. Where is that? So asking these kind of questions and taking you through these little thought exercises to try and identify that is really, really uh, helpful. And you can do this yourself. Once you know what it is, you can start to do this yourself. You can, you can spot your own unfinished sentence as you go through the day. You think, what was I about to say then? Oh, God, yeah, I know I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> and it could be really, really simple. But it, and is it is it a little bit like magic? Is it that you can somebody can have that moment, finish that sentence, mm. and then they are forever? Will, will their filter be forever changed, or does that take a bit more work? Uh, the answer I always give. I mean, I've got a training school, and my students are always asking questions, and it always begins with "It depends." Right? Is, the, is the answer? Right? Some of the best answers do. <laughs> it just depends. Okay. Um, for someone, it can be that simple. They may have a moment of realization and just, oh my gosh, I never realized that. Was that what I was thinking? And from that moment, they say, I'm never going to do that again. And it can just change just like that. Right? For others, it may reveal a whole little Pandora's box of emotional stuff that needs dealing with. So that may take a, a little while to dig into that and a bit more interaction. So it's nice and neat and tidy when it's an instant uh, result like that, but sometimes it can require a little bit of, bit of work. But going back to the, the comment I made earlier about affirmations being mostly lies, they are lies, most of them, right? But when you can have a realization and choose a statement, I prefer to use the word mantra because I think it means instrument of the mind, I think, right? Mm. I like that idea. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when you have like a mantra or a statement, 
designed to tackle one of these ideas at this level, then it's way more effective. Rather than a generic thing that says, I'm enough, I'm this, I'm that, you know, <laughs> I don't want to tease that, but when the voice goes, no, you're not, <laughs> it just doesn't work. So if you can recognize what's really going on and build an, an idea, a new statement around that, that can really hit you deep inside and mean something to you, then you can start creating change pretty quickly as well. Yeah, a, a contrary affirmation to what you fundamentally believe. Just repeating that over and over again is like hitting it with a blunt instrument, isn't it? Like yeah. if you don't feel that you're enough, hitting it with I am enough every morning is not going to suddenly over time change the safe shape of that belief system. No, not, not unless you actually do believe that and you're just trying to remind yourself because affirmation is you're affirming something, remember? Mm. Affirming something you know to be true. So if you can find it within yourself to think, look, all this stuff I've been thinking or doing, whatever, it, it's, a, it's a bit stressful, it's a bit anxiety-driven, but actually underneath it all, I know I'm all right. I'm a good person. I know that, okay? So if you can access that part of yourself, one of the exercises I put in the book was about reaching beyond your fears and anxieties and see if you can feel down to the, the, the you that's underneath that. That's why it's called the real you, okay? It's like, let's see if we can find the real you, not, not the one who's got all this baggagey stuff, if we can get to the real you who's free of that and, and find that part of yourself, because that part of you is enough completely, absolutely, 100%. Mm. And if you can affirm around that idea, yeah, that's great. That, that'll really hit home. That'll hit a, a spot in your heart somewhere. Okay. But if it's a, just read very generically, but the back of your mind, you still don't feel it, it's probably not going to work that well. Mm. One of the things I'm always trying to help people realize is whatever happens to them in life, whatever's gone on, it's the meaning we take from it is what's important. Every single moment we're applying a meaning to something. Right? And when, when we're little and we go through difficult experiences, we don't really have much of a filter. Somebody says something or does something to us and we feel it's our fault or we're wrong or whatever it is in some way. We just believe that. And then we grow up feeling that for the rest of our life. Right, so I'm trying to help people peel away those layers, those thoughts, whatever it is. Even if it's just so-called accidental things in life that create circumstances that make us feel that way. If you can help someone realize that they are enough just by the fact that they exist, gives them the right to love and happiness. They haven't got to do anything to earn it or prove it or achieve it. The simple fact that you exist means you are worthy of, of love and everything that goes with that. That makes sense, but a lot of things in life cause us to doubt that in some way. I was talking to someone at the weekend about the way people behave and how, in your friendships, you are a really good version of yourself because you feel safe. Mm. I was talking to yeah. my friend about if you ever see somebody uh, kicking off at someone, or if you see someone at an event being rude, or if somebody has a reputation for being difficult, for example how they can get labeled as that. And I was saying, I think we need to be more compassionate and realize that they are doing that because they're uncomfortable because no comfortable yeah. person behaves badly. Absolutely, yeah. The, I've mentioned it a few times, this thing called the, the threat response, okay? So mm. um, there's a biological system within us called the fight or flight response that many of us learn about in school and that kind of thing, but it's, it's there designed to protect us. So in time of physical danger, the idea is we perceive a threat 
and then we do something about it. And the typical responses are fight, flight, or freeze. That's the three main ones. Fight is we fight the aggressor, the thing that's about to attack us. Uh, freeze is we stand still, hope it doesn't see us, so I hope it goes away, like an animal response. Um, the third one, the uh, sorry, the uh, flight is the second one. It's like we run away and hide. So it's aggression, withdraw, or let's hope it goes away. I won't do anything. All right. So if you think about that in very simple terms, the fight response is anger, an anger response. Someone with anger problems, they're feeling under threat, so they're responding aggressively to fight the aggressor. Someone with anxiety is choosing the flight response. There's a threat, so they're withdrawing. They're anxious, they become subordinate, whatever it is. Someone who doesn't know which what to do, which one to do, they'll freeze, which is procrastination. <gasps> I want to do this, but I can't do this, and it's not good enough. I need to do it. I've got to get it on time, but what if it's not good enough? And what if it's... And all that goes to someone's mind, and that creates the freeze response. All right. So if someone's behaving in a way that doesn't seem rational or seems unfriendly or aggressive or shy or abusive in some way, that person is feeling under threat in some way. All right? That doesn't condone the behavior. Mm. All right? That doesn't mean it's going to make it okay. It just means that's what they're going through. So if we grow up, for example, around people who are going through that, and we see them as being aggressive, for example, and we don't know how to deal with that, we'll take it on board and we'll tend to think, well, it's my fault. Okay? Mm. Or we get conditioned as, well, that's the way life is. So we then grow up becoming the aggressive person, and it just gets perpetuated. Mm. So this threat response is what generates the irrational or the maladaptive behaviors. Whether it's biting your nails, trying to change a habit, that threat response can kick in at any moment. Because someone who smokes, for example, stopping smoking is very easy. You just need a good enough reason. <laughs> Actually, it's that simple. <laughs> you give anyone a good enough reason, they'll, they'll put a cigarette out straight away, okay? Unless they've got very difficult beliefs saying, I can't live without it. Right. But it's, it's not the stopping smoking that's the problem, for example, or any habit. It's the idea about what will happen if I don't have that. There's a threat involved with not having it. Something's missing. How can I cope without this in my mouth? How can I cope without that? How can I cope if I can't pick my skin or bite my nails or whatever it is? How do I cope? There's a whole range of disorders called BFRBs, body-focused repetitive behaviors about skin picking and hair pulling. And all these are, all these are anxiety-driven behaviors to help someone change how they feel inside. If they can't do the behavior, they're stuck with the feeling. And the feeling is the problem. Mm. threat response is I don't want to feel that let me do something to change how I feel a behavior a habit an eating thing or whatever it is you know yeah well let's talk about eating because actually mm. when I was uh chatting before um uh, setting up this podcast mm. uh, your publicist actually said I know you've talked about weight and body issues on your show he would be a brilliant person to speak to but I didn't want okay, to do sure. it until we'd <laughs> Because we've done, we've done a big chunk of what you actually do. So no, that's long time <laughs> listeners will know that uh, very early on in the podcast life, and this podcast is now five years old, I talked about having a really, what I felt to be a dysfunctional, toxic relationship with my body image mm. and how I had battled in inverted commas with my weight for years. Yo-yo dieting. I'm very good. At, I was very good at exercising. I was very good at mm. dieting, cool. just not for very long. <laughs> So, so I was a serial dieter and a serial exerciser. And then what I've shared with listeners, and they've been very generous in giving me their ear for this, but is mm. a couple of years ago, I read a book 
<clears throat> and it was very repetitive. I'm not saying it was the best written book in the world, but it was called Brain Over Binge. Mm. And I suddenly, it, it allowed me to see what was actually going on, yeah. which was eating too much and eating in a way that was disordered. It's probably the best way of putting it. Sure. And I appreciate now down the line, it must be quite frustrating sometimes for listeners to hear me say, oh, I read a book and look, I dropped 30 pounds and I've never felt better mm. because it makes it look like a quick fix. And it, it absolutely isn't. Mm. Well, I wondered if that's something that you have people come to you for a lot, because one of the things I say to people now is if you are struggling in inverted commas with your weight or your weight isn't the way, isn't the weight that you want it to be, and you know it's because of an action that you take, then diet and exercise might actually be blunt instruments and it might be worth investigating something else. Because for me, it was yeah. about understanding what was going on in my head that ultimately mm. led to a solution. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the eating and weight and disordered eating, it's sometimes it's very simple, but it's actually quite complicated because there's so many factors that can uh, contribute to that. But anytime we're eating more than we need to, on a regular basis, especially if it's emotionally driven, then the, there's gonna be some kind of limiting idea going on inside that's designed to protect us in some ways, designed to, to feel better for a moment. But the problem is that there's a temporary feeling better followed by the usual, the opposite, where we sink down and the, usually the shame and the frustration and the anger, all that tends to kick in uh, just after. So the main eating issues I've helped with are a bit of general weight loss, but it's just habitual eating. That, that's okay. Sometimes it's change, changing habits, changing behaviors. That's all right. People just need a bit of a, a refocus. Um, at the simplest level, that can be, instead of focusing on the food itself, focus on how you feel afterwards and then choose things that will make you feel different after that. So if you've got a certain goal, then choosing a certain type of food will probably take you close to that goal. Choosing a different type of food will take you away from it. Right? And some people, that can be enough, okay? But if there's more emotions behind it, then we have to think, well, what is, what is the eating behavior trying to achieve? What's the, what's the outcome? What's it protecting you from, like that lady I mentioned earlier? Uh, what's the repetitive cycle? So, People with anorexia, for example, very often it gives them a sense of um, accomplishment. They feel good at something. It's a common thing. So you take away the anorexia and then they, well, you know, what's left? What am I good at? So you've got to be careful of that, right? Uh, usually it's driven by some kind of lack or insecurity that's made the person feel very not good about themselves. They have to try and do something to feel good, right? Uh, bulimia, which is the binge eating and then purging, to me, the bulimia side of it, or I'm not saying it's good, but it made sense because if someone binges, has more food in their body than they want to keep, it, it, it's a logical thing to want to get rid of it. Right? That doesn't make it okay health-wise, it just means it makes sense. So to stop someone purging or throwing up, for example, was never my aim. I was always trying to help people stop doing the binging in the first place because then that's the real cause. Right? And what I tended to find was if you can feel around for the feelings and the emotions that were encouraging the binge in the first place and just follow those down. There tends to be feeling of disconnection or feeling a bit less than or out of control of certain things or uh, sometimes not lovable enough in some way, just not enough. That, that thing tends to kick into it in some way. And if you can 
deal with those kind of feelings of hurt and upset around that, it kind of releases the emotional pressure inside. All right? And then instead of it being like this emotionally driven behavior where you know, hundreds of people have said to me, it's like a secret greedy person takes over, okay? You know, instead of this kind of inner greedy person taking over, it's not that at all. It's just some part of the people going through that is trying to make themselves feel safe or feel good from them, right? So instead of having that almost compulsive desire, drive to have to go and do something, that dissolves away. And then we're left with just a little habit then. And habits are easier to adjust than the huge emotionally driven behaviors, right? So there's often two steps to this. One is dissolving the the emotions behind it. And then how do we start to apply maybe some different approaches on the surface level? What can I do now? What can I do today? What can I do differently to, to set, set yourself free of it? So a lot of people, for example, with bulimia and binging have said to me um, after maybe a couple of visits or a couple of sessions there, I still did it, but I did it because it's just what I do. I didn't need to do it. It was just that time of day and I did it because I thought, well, that's what I've always done for so many years. All right. So when I hear that, that's like a, a good stepping stone result to me because now we're on to the we're nearly set free of it. So there's, there's a whole range of levels of these kind of issues, um, but I tend to go for the emotion. If you can sort sort the emotion out first of all with any problem, then the behaviour tends um, tends to follow. So. What if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, "I would like to change." There are parts of my life that I think. I could be better in and I know on some level I hold myself back let's just use that as an example sure but on some level they are also quite terrified to face whatever that emotion is because they don't necessarily want to excavate it because they're again could be like opening Pandora's box and you've got more you're going to discover something you just don't you just wish you didn't know yeah that that can happen a lot and people are often worried that if they find out what the real cause is they're going to feel worse but actually that's based on an idea on the false idea itself usually that idea is what if i find out i really am bad what if i find out i really am not good what if i find out i really am unworthy of love what if i find out i really am deserving of humiliation or whatever it may be Okay, so it's the same belief is keeping them stuck in that cycle. I think it was Einstein, or like, I don't know, he's often attributed with it, said that you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it, and it's feeling stuck in that, that loop. Mm. So nobody has to go and face that stuff if they don't want to. You can work at it at the surface level, the next level down, or the next level down. That's why in the book I've got something called the U flow, which says, "Like here, start with your problem here. You decide how far you want to go. Right? You can you can go across this and try and solve this problem anywhere you want to. Right? But if you want to get a deep and life life transforming, lasting change, you've probably got to go right there down to the bottom to make it really last. But you can do it a bit at a time until it feels safe and comfortable to do so. Right? So I mean, a really really simple thing." You know, on my practitioner training, I get trained people, first of all, to start thinking about what is it you don't want and what is it you do want at the most simplest level, okay? For example, um, someone wants to start biting their nails. Many people say, I want to start biting my nails, but well, what do you want instead? They'll say, well, do not bite my nails. No, I say, no, no, that's the negative. <laughs> what do you want instead? What's it like? If you're not biting nails, what happens? And eventually, after about three or four minutes of questions, they say, well, I suppose I want to want them to grow and be nice and healthy. Okay, so what do you need to do to make that happen? Well, just leave them alone. Right, great. So 
it sounds so obvious, okay? But sometimes you just got to think, what is it you don't want? And what is it you do want instead? And then if you can put your focus on what you do want, that can actually just make a change. Mm. So if you've got a habit of saying, leave my nose alone, let them grow, and you repeat that idea, that's an affirmation and mantra that could work. Rather if than say, stop by saying, I don't bite my nose, I don't bite my nose, I don't bite my nose, that's not going to work. <laughs> but leave them alone, let them grow, or leave them alone, let them grow, that probably could work. Okay, because that's an instruction your mind can begin to accept, for example. Right. So I always think, well, what is it you don't want? What is it you do want? But sometimes there's a little gap in the middle. Because remember this thing that someone trying to get to the positive might feel threatened by that? Mm. So if that's not easy to get to, then you can fill the gap in the middle. What do I need to feel to be able to have what I want? And that comes down to one of those core beliefs. Okay, It's going to be, I need to feel good enough about myself. I need to feel safe. I need to feel that I am in control. I can do this. I need to feel that I fit in. I'm accepted. I have a place in the world. I need to feel that love can be about pleasure rather than pain. So those are areas someone could or should focus on as a stepping stone to get the result they want. Okay, look, I am am good enough as a person. I am safe here. I I can be in control of myself, my thoughts. I do fit in, I do belong, and, I, and, and relationships can be loving and pleasurable. And if I focus on that idea, then I can take the step I need through the next bit. Mm. Okay, so so that'll, that's, a, that's a, a thing people can do very effectively. But if there's resistance to that, then you've got to go a little bit deeper. Right? So nobody has to face anything they don't want to. And ultimately, probably their mind will lead them in that direction. Because actually... There's this weird and wonderful thing where it seems as if life is always trying to make us evolve in some way. So whatever we do to try and avoid our issues, life will just find a way. So people or things will just keep popping up in our life until we face it and then deal with it. And when we face it and deal with it and resolve it, then those things tend to just fall away. Mm. And the next, next one comes up, whatever that may be. Yep. We can't avoid it. It just keeps coming. I've had that before with toxic work environments. And the last time it happened, as soon as I realized I was falling into an old pattern, I quit. Yeah, good. Excellent. (laughs) Bit of of a risk, but um, but it was was amazing. Um, One of the things I wanted to just mention as well is... um, when I've pre I've previously had uh, hypnosis sessions twice and they are obviously from everything that you've said, very, very different from what you do. Mm-hmm. And it was for my weight. Sure. And one of the things I was nervous about was almost as it felt a little bit like um, allowing a, a Mac genius to remotely access my computer and take control. And that mm. was what I was quite nervous about because I'd never let anyone have access to my hard drive, my brain hard drive. Yeah, sure. And there was something about it, about any benefit or any improvement that was made from those sessions that I would actually be detached from and have no agency in those changes because it would just be like somebody had upgrade, updated my software yeah. while I was dormant. And actually, I personally wanted to be involved in the progression and the change. And Absolutely. it sounds very much like with what you do, and obviously in the book, I mean, there are so many exercises in there. You, mm. couldn't, you couldn't lay a path more clear for people to, if you want to change this, try these steps. Yeah. So there is agency in the hypnosis or the yeah, way method. 
And even in that kind of hypnosis you're talking about, that, that's one of the reasons why I didn't like it. I, mm. I love you, what you can achieve. I love what you can achieve, but I don't like the way it's packaged. Okay, right. because there's, there's a thing that a lot of that type of hypnotist won't tell you about. Right? And that is all hypnosis is really self-hypnosis. Okay, however powerful, whatever stage type effect, however dramatic they try and make it. Okay? No hypnotist can have an effect on your mind unless some part of you latches onto it and says, yes, I agree with that idea. Right. I can accept that idea. And then it will go inside. Right? That critical faculty either says, yes, you can come in and party or no, you're at the club tonight. Right? So we, you ultimately have the power, complete, utter, total control. Okay, but because of the way it's set up sometimes, it's made to feel as if we don't, as if, yeah, you just sit there, close your eyes, I'm the one with all the answers, I'll make it good for you, you wake up, off you go, give me some money and send you in the way. And that, I never liked that because I just don't think it, that's the way it works. Whereas actually, if you can have a chat with someone and help them realize what their thoughts are, what their feelings are, what's going on, what they need to do to change, then everything comes from within the client. It's one of the things I have to drill this, my practitioners on my training course. Oh God, the first month, it's like, stop trying to fix the blooming client. It's not your responsibility. The answers are within them, right? Just shut up giving advice. Stop talking. Do what I've told you. Ask the questions and the client will come up with it. The answers will come from within the client, okay? They're completely aware, um, capable of becoming aware what needs to change and our job is just to facilitate that peel away the layers bring it to the surface and then guide them nudge them a little bit here and there keep them on track so that person can have this beautiful transformation themselves that they've really worked hardest for they usually say thanks so much at the end even though i've done nothing but ask a few questions okay but you know it's completely under your power your control it's just it's not always easy sometimes when you're trying to do it yourself because we get stuck in our own head which is why being able to verbalize it or write things down with exercises is, is a really good way of doing it. But yeah, no, it's, it's good to hear you say that because it's one of the reasons why I love hypnosis, but I walk away from it as well because of that imagery. Mm. So it's about, yeah, you having complete control of your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors, and helping you access those yourself. It's like any great epic tale of redemption or any great epic tale, the, the protagonist, the hero, the heroine, usually... Mm. The answer was there right at the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah, I say, often I say it to clients, I say, look, um, if you ever watched a superhero movie, that it's always the same story. Okay, you've got the superhero, superheroine going about their day, being what they do, doing what they do, then something happens. Problem arises, super bad guy appears, there's a challenge, there's a quest we've got to go on. And that leaves us kind of the end of act two, we're often down and out, stripped of our power. What do we do? The world's going to end. How are we ever going to get through this? You know? And that moment, there's a, some kind of existential shift has to occur. And for the, you know, act three to come in and everything to be okay again, then we, the hero or heroine has to make a change in some way. And usually it, it's something that says, often it's a, it can be a wise person. It can be a little Yoda in Star Wars. <laughs> it can be the fool. It can be Bert the Chimney Sweep in Mary Poppins. It doesn't matter who it is. Right? Someone somewhere says, have you thought about it this way? Or think about it this way. Something changes inside the person and they suddenly rise up 
out of the ashes. They we buy into their story. We're with them every step of the way to the end of the movie. And by the end of it, hopefully they've come out, they've kicked bad going to the church or whatever it is in the church. They've solved the problem and life moves on in some way. But this, this is really important. I think I said this at the beginning of the book, actually. We're not the same as what we were before. Okay, Something about us has evolved. And this is what I noticed through all the, the things in my own life I've been through and, and Klatsky. So just like there, there's a version of us, then there's, there's our difficulties, and then the, the version of us that has overcome them is more evolved in some way. We're, we're more wiser. We, we've learned more about ourselves, about life, and we have evolved. And we, hopefully, if we got it right, we'll never go back and do that again or experience that again. Mm. Sometimes it takes a lot of times around that to break that pattern. Sometimes it's a lifetime to break that pattern. Okay, But when we come out of it, we're somehow different, changed, transformed. And that's why I called it about the real you, the person you're born to be. It's about... There's a you, a natural you here, stuff you're going to overcome. And that person you become as you overcome that is more who you're evolving into. And it's not about the journey, the destination business. It's not about that at all. It's about who you have to become to get to what you're trying to do. That's what I've always seen as the, the beautiful part of this human transformation. The problems are there to give us that nudge we need to evolve in some way. And that's hard for some people to accept. It's easier in hindsight. Right? Hindsight's great. Okay. You've got clients going through that. They don't want to accept that just yet. Right? But afterwards, it's okay. So I forgot how we got to that point. But yeah, this <laughs> whole, <laughs> whole range. I of- like it very much. And to bring it back to the book, because listeners, it's a, it, it's, um, it's really helpful. And it's, as you've heard, the way Andrew speaks, it's written very clearly as well. So it, there's no bamboozling that goes on, which is a real turn off mm. for me with books. But one of the things is when you get to all of the exercises, there's a little passage that says, the main thing you will need is a simple willingness to face up to things. Everything else takes care of, it, takes care of itself after that. Yeah, that's right. I think that's the, it's the hardest thing is being willing to be honest with yourself. If you can do that, you can achieve miracles within yourself. You really can. And the, the difficulty people will experience going there is okay. It's your protective system is trying to protect you from feeling something you don't want to fear, feel. Usually because there's a fear that if we start feeling it, it will never stop. Right? Mm. But it will pass. And on the other side of that feeling, on the other side of the fear, there is happiness, there's lightness, there's freedom. So you don't have to do it on one go, but if you can just even read a sentence and put it down or write a sentence, and I'll come back to that later, okay. Anytime you're willing to do that, then you can evolve and and life can get easier and life life can get better. So yeah, it's just persistence. That's all it is really. Willingness to face things out and persistence is enough. What a brilliant note upon which to end. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've really actually... um, found a lot of value in understanding hypnosis in a new way and and the the practice i know i'm using it as a very big umbrella term here because okay. like, yeah, sure. we talked about the uh how it's not necessarily that specific but i really do think there's a huge amount of power in it and i'm so grateful to you for explaining it and also to listeners just sort of showing them what is possible no, thank you. It's been a pleasure and uh, great questions as well. So thanks for the uh, opportunity there. Lovely. Yeah, it's good. Um, listeners, the links to the book, which is a strong recommend from me, will be in the show notes and all of the links to Andrew, his training courses, his social media, his books, his everything 
will be there for you too. Uh, but Andrew, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Can I just say one last thing, if that's okay? Of course if, you may. If any of your listeners get a copy of the book, and if they want to forward the email to me at my organisation, we'll give them some little free extras to go with it as well. So I, I put some together for my practitioners, but if you say forward the receipt, say from Emma, Emma Guns, and we'll, we'll give you some extras to, to go along with the book. Oh, brilliant. I'll get the email from you then. We'll put that yeah. in the show notes. Uh, yeah. um, hello at andrew-par.com. Perfect. How easy is that to remember? Thank you so much. <laughs> Pleasure. Take care of it. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate you spending your time with me. You know I don't take it for granted. If you would like to get in touch with me, it's so easy. I'm uh, thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to email me, uh, well, not email me, DM me on Instagram and Twitter, then I am at Emma Guns, and I would love to hear from you. But if you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then I encourage you to click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and click the link to join the Facebook forum. There are thousands of us in there chatting away about all sorts of things. So come and join the party. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you for the next one.